Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to go with me, if you would, to our core text is in Luke chapter 1. I'll read that for you. Why don't you head over already to Matthew chapter 25, and we'll work our way over there. We've been in this series on the spirit of revival and uh, drawing our, uh, our theme from the assignment that was on John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who had a, an anointing to be a forerunner to the first coming of Jesus to the earth. And that anointing was to call God's people to repent, to call God's people into changing their ways to call them. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. And so he was calling God's people into a place of radical transformation to make preparation for God. And so there's a fivefold anointing that we've been digging into from Luke chapter 1. We'll just look at verse 16 and 17. It says, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How many want to be a people ready and prepared for meeting the Lord? Amen. And so uh, there is a clear message throughout this series. If you're listening, there's an assessment of the condition which serves as a sort of reality check, our condition, that the reason that the Lord sent John the Baptist to his generation was to get them ready for the coming of the Lord, meaning that left without that forerunner, left without that message, left without that preparation, they were unready for what God wanted to do and release in their generation. And if we're hungry for God to do something uh, supernatural in our lives, in our, our generation, we would be foolhardy to think He'll just add it to the current flavor of our lives. But we actually must change to make room and make way for the Lord. We need the spirit of revival to touch our hearts and our minds for the same reason that that first generation needed that touch. We need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. There's a readiness that is meant to mark us. And Jesus told several parables to convey the need for us to be ready in order to precede his return. A passion for revival, a passion for revival that's not connected to the return of Christ is is misdirected. Because what that means is that we're really just eager for better church services. But we need to yearn for the return of Christ. The first disciples that Jesus walked with for three and a half years, poured himself into, and then he appeared to them after his resurrection and spoke to them about the need for them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He spoke to those disciples and said, you need to go and take this message to every nation, disciple nations by my word, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And he said, I'm, I'm coming right back. So you need to just, you know, be clothed with power, stay in Jerusalem, be clothed with power so that you can do what I'm calling you to do, and I'll I'll be right back. And so they were so eager about his return 
that they sat there looking up into the sky thinking he'd be back like, you know, how many know when God says soon, it doesn't mean what you and I mean when we say soon? (laughs) Whatever God means by soon, it's different than how we use that word. And so they sat there waiting for Jesus to come back. And so some angels had to come and be like, guys, go to Jerusalem, like he said. Get clothed with power. They were so preoccupied with the return of Christ that they changed the way that they said hello and goodbye. They would, they would say hello and goodbye with the phrase Maranatha, meaning the Lord is coming. It was constantly on their mind. It was constantly in their thinking. A, a sense that Jesus might come back at any moment causes for us to live in such a way that there's an urgency to every interaction because it might be our last. There's an urgency to every conversation because it might be the last one that we get. might be the last opportunity that we have to witness for the Lord before His return. And so Jesus told many parables, these word pictures, to convey the need for our readiness for His return. We need to yearn for His return. Jesus told us that He was coming soon. And so we need to have that kind of anticipation placed within us by the Spirit of God. I believe that that's one of the first marks of revival. Repentance and then a a, a longing for the return of the Lord that motivates us into mission because we know the time is short. And listen, the Bible actually takes away the argument that, that may surface in the room right now. The Bible takes away the argument of, oh, we've been hearing about the return of Christ since way back when. The Bible actually calls you on that and just goes, yeah, everyone's going to say that. But some generation has to be the generation that is walking on the earth when Jesus returns. And living with that kind of anticipation actually keeps us in a state of readiness that is actually vital to our walk with Christ. Jesus is coming to rule this earth. Amen. He's coming to rule this earth. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow before Him. Every tongue will confess His supremacy. Ready or not, He's coming. Ready or not, He's returning. And He's returning for a church that's ready. A church that is ready. A church that is glorious without spot or blemish. A church that is likened unto a bride. Not a bride that wakes up on the wedding day going, Oh, is that today? but a bride that has been anticipating the return of Christ. My prayer is that we would experience the reviving work of God's Spirit first so that we can faithfully do all and be all that He's expecting us to be. Now, I want to unpack a little bit of first century Jewish culture before we get into our text in Matthew chapter 25. Because we live here in this Canadian culture, and some of you have other cultures that... You brought and mingled into this Canadian culture, but speaking in that general sense, thanks on, of, of the Canadian culture, weddings here are all about the bride. Right? It's okay, you can cheer if you want. You're like, yes! Okay. So, it's all about what she's wearing, right? It's all about, you know, fulfilling those princess dreams, that big day. Uh, you know, like I'm, just, I, I, what what my bridesmaids are going to be wearing, and what my my 
my groom and his friends will be wearing and all this. I mean, so, sometimes it seems like the wedding's all planned out even before she meets the guy. You know, it's just like, last detail, who's the guy, okay? Now, in first century Jewish culture, the wedding is not about the bride. In fact, the wedding in first century Jewish culture was all about the groom. Amen. You can get excited about that if you want. Okay? So the, the groom had all the responsibility to ensure all the details are in place for the wedding. Wow. How about a bucket of chicken and uh, the West Hall? Right? <laughs> okay? But including hashing out the marriage contract or covenant with the bride's father, this was a whole part. That if we don't grasp this, there's some of the parables of Jesus, some of the teaching of Jesus, we might miss. Actually, because, because we don't understand the cultural implications of what he's referring to in a lot of things that we quote, but we don't recognize the significance of what it's connected to. The most important part of the groom's responsibility was uh, to, in the covenant that he was entering into with the bride was the price that the groom was going to pay for the bride. I know that's an offensive term for us to even think of that right now. You're going to pay for somebody. But the, the reality is that it was the, the groom was to give as much as he possibly could for his bride as an expression of love and value and worth. So if we could be less sensitive to our own cultural reality and understand this first century Jewish cultural reality, then we understand that Jesus being the bridegroom to the church gave his life as the price for us. So that we could be his. Now the betrothal process of first century Jewish culture is mostly unknown to us in this Canadian culture. To be betrothed was to already be in covenant, but not to have consummated the marriage. This is why when we read the Christmas story, we don't quite understand necessarily on first blush. We don't understand why Joseph and Mary, they're just betrothed. And then he's all put off because she's pregnant, understandably. He's like, what in the world? And so he has it in his mind to do what? Break up with her? No, to divorce her quietly. He knew the baby couldn't be his because in first century Jewish culture, that covenant was sealed, okay, differently. And then there was a whole process that was engaged. So understand, it's different than our engagement process. It's covenant already without consummation. The marriage covenant was sealed by the bride drinking a cup of wine, but she could not go home with her groom she now has to wait while the groom, listen, goes to his father's house to prepare a place for her. Does that ring any bells? And so he would give this covenant price and make great investment to say, I'm going to bring you to be where I am, but I'm going to go to my father's house and prepare a place so that you also may be where I am. And so he would, 
he, they would become betrothed. They would be in covenant without consummation. And the anticipation of that season was the bride and her bridesmaids awaiting the return of the bridegroom from making preparation at his father's house to expand on that property to build a home for him and his bride. And so what would happen is he could be gone for up to 18 months. And she had to patiently wait for his return. And her role in waiting as the bride is to watch and be ready because she never knows when he'll return. And so this betrothal process is this affectionate, longing, waiting for reunion and ultimate union. But it's this idea of anticipation of being brought to the home of the groom. And so she would enlist the help of her bridesmaids. Some translations of Matthew chapter 25 refer to the bridesmaids as virgins, just to add another layer to it of like, what are we talking about? But the implication of them being virgin is that they are pure in waiting. But they are waiting for the return of the bridegroom. When the bridegroom does return, he comes at night. And he stands outside the city and blows the shofar, blows the trumpet to announce his arrival. And the, they are all listening for the sound of that trumpet indicating that the bridegroom has come. And then the bride and her bridesmaids run out to meet the bridegroom and a huge party begins. The, weddings, the wedding of first century Jewish culture, those festivities would take about a week. The celebration a reunion, and a new beginning of a new life shared by bride and groom. Now with that context in your mind, go with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And this is one of several parables of Jesus. Parable being a, words, a word picture that paints a, a picture so that we can relate somehow. And that's why I wanted to back into that so that we could understand the cultural implications of what was going on so we can insert ourselves into this story because we're meant to be, be found as ready for the return of Christ. The context here coming out of Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus' disciples asking him, Lord, what will be the sign 
of your return. What, how will we know when you're coming back? And Jesus tells these stories, several parables pointing to uh, his return and not included in any one of his stories has anything to do with a prediction about time or details or global events. And yet so much of the message of the return of Christ in the church has been hijacked by strange doctrines and weird charts and graphs. Trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and what's Gog and Magog and what's going on over here and how many blood moons are there until and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, Jesus had an emphasis when it came to talking about his return. And if you're taking notes, this would be, if you're going to write one thing down, this would be a great thing to write down. Jesus had an emphasis in his message about his return. And his emphasis was, be ready. That's it. It was readiness. Watch and pray and be ready. In fact, at one point, Jesus even said, the times and dates have been set by my Father. In other words, what Jesus is saying, even I don't care when I'm coming back. What I care about is you being ready. Like, if Jesus is saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I, like, do you honestly think God's keeping it from Jesus? Like, God's, Jesus is like, Father, when am I coming back? He's like, I'm not telling. You honestly think that's, that, is that your theology? Like, I, I honestly think what Jesus is saying is, my father has taken care of it, and I haven't even got concerned about when, because I want you to be ready. Readiness is the emphasis of Jesus, that we would be ready for his return. And I don't, I haven't found anybody feeling more ready because of all the charts and graphs that they've read. I've just found people get more proud. I know some details. I know some stuff. Have you heard what's happening? You know, whatever, something happened. You know, there's things going on. It's birth pains. Our alertness and our readiness is likened to that of these bridesmaids who are waiting for the trumpet blast of the returning bridegroom. That's the message for us to get this morning out of our context from Luke 1, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We need to be a people that are ready and prepared for the return of Christ. And these, their readiness is demonstrated in three things. I want you to write these down. Their, their readiness is demonstrated in a listening ear, an abundance of oil, and a transferable flame. Their readiness is demonstrated in a listening ear, an abundance of oil, and a transferable flame. These are the things that we need to cultivate in these days. First, we need to cultivate a listening ear, listening to God. They were listening for the trumpet blast. There was, there was a listening above their regular listening. Have you ever been you know, in the middle of a conversation, but you're expecting a phone call? And while you're, while you're talking, you know, if you're like me, I never actually have my phone set to ringer. It's always just vibrating. And so it's like you're in a conversation and you hear a slight hum. You're like, hold on, hold on. Was that my wife? And you're just constantly preoccupied 
with the call that might be coming in. There was a listening that these bridesmaids had. They're listening above the, the din and the noise of everything else that was going on. They're waiting for the sound of the return of the bridegroom. We need to cultivate a listening ear. And I want to say to you this morning, you can hear God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you are walking in devoted obedience, following after Jesus, then you know how to hear God. You can hear God. We hear God in primarily in three ways. First of all, we hear Him in His Word. We hear Him in this closed canon of Scripture. We hear Him as we come to the Word of God with an open heart and prayer. If you read this like a textbook, it might just hit you like a textbook. But if you read this and say, Spirit of God, would you speak to me? Lord, would you open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your Word? If you'll pray and ask God to make His Word come alive to you, it will come alive to you. This is His Word. And we hear God in this Word. We get the revelation of God through this Word. We understand His ways. We understand His nature. We understand His heart as we spend time in His Word. And so we, we can hear God as we come to Scripture, understanding it's not just a book, but it's a living Word. And it has the power to cut between soul and spirit. And the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart, joint and marrow, soul and spirit. God's word can get right into you and begin to reorder your life. We need to be people who are listening by listening to this word. Secondly, we hear God through his word preached. It's one of the most underrated but most powerful ways that you can hear God is through the anointed preaching and teaching of God's word. Jesus actually said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. That that anointing to preach, the Apostle Paul picked up on that and said that it's, it's through the preaching that he was releasing the Word of God everywhere that he went. It wasn't just, you know, just, you know, telling a couple cool stories in a poem, but he would preach the Word of God. He said that his preaching was not through manipulative language and style, but with a, a dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. We can hear God as we come to the preaching of his word. Thirdly, we can hear God through his prophetic word. That's the supernatural ability to hear and know the voice of God through prophetic utterance or prophetic impression. And it's, listen, it's always aligned with this written word. And you need, you need more of this so that you can do more of that. You need more of the, this word in you so that you can hear more of the prophetic word. Why? Because Joseph Smith thought he was hearing God. When he was talking to ten-foot angels and got another testament and wrote a whole other Bible and stuck it next to this one, we're like, hey, there's a North American Jesus. He's really tall. And all kinds of weird doctrine came out of it. Why? Because it wasn't rooted to this word. But the prophetic word is actually, God actually wants to release prophetic word into your life. But hear me, it will always align with his written word. And it will always confirm his written word. But there are some particular things that God wants to speak into your life that aren't in this written word. But the prophetic word will not offend what is written in this word. Amen. So we need to have a listening ear. 
Secondly, we need to have an abundance of oil. In this context of this parable, the oil is representative of devotion and preparation. It's the oil of anointed service. God's anointing on your life, God's anointing on any life, always has to do with a task. It always has to do with an assignment. You're not anointed to play video games. You're not anointed to watch TV. You're not anointed to just sit back and just be you. The, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. The anointing comes on a life for an assignment, for a task. The anointing that came on David when he was a teenager and Samuel showed up, he said, God said, rise and anoint him and he opened the flask of oil and dumped it over him. What was that oil for? That oil was so that he could be the next king of Israel in the timing of the Lord. There's an anointing for your life that has to do with task and assignment. And here in this parable, Jesus is saying that there is an anointing that will come upon your life as you will cultivate the readiness of a life filled with righteous activity, righteous works like we talked about last week. A life that is anticipating the return of Christ. There's an oil that comes on you, an anointing that comes upon you of anticipation and devotion and preparation to see Jesus in His return. What I'm saying is that it takes God to love God. Our love is faltering and weak. If we're going to try to maintain an anticipation of the return of Christ and maintain devotion toward walking with God in our own strength, we're going to flame out. But the oil of the Spirit needs to be our top pursuit. The anointing of God on our lives. In this parable, we're like the lamp. And a lamp is actually meant to to burn. A lamp actually is made to carry oil, and that oil is carried so that it might burn. What's inside the lamp is more important than the lamp. And the church is made to be filled so that we can burn for the Lord. You're made to be filled so that you can burn for the Lord. We need the oil of God's Holy Spirit to come upon our anointed service. We need the oil of God's Spirit to come upon us like what happened at David when he was anointed to be the next king. Like what happened to John the Baptist when he was just a fetus in the womb. And Mary came and said, hi Elizabeth. And he, on the inside as a fetus, heard the voice of Mary knowing that she was carrying Jesus Something in his spirit, before he could have any cognition, something in his spirit leapt, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the inside as a fetus. Because he got into proximity of the presence of Jesus. It took some 30 years before he had that recognition again, but before he could think it and overthink it, just as a fetus on the inside, he recognized the presence of the anointed one. We need that kind of anointing to come upon us that we would be a church that's preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. We need the anointing to come upon us like was on the early church on the day of Pentecost that would endure 10 days of prayer of seeking the Lord because we know that we can't do what He's called us to do in our own might and in our own power, but we know we need to be clothed with power from on high. And when that church waited and prayed and sought the Lord, there was a sound like a violent rushing wind on the inside of that house. The fire of the Holy Spirit came and separated and rested on each one of them. They began to speak in other tongues, 
filled and emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit, spilled out into the streets and bore witness to the name of Jesus. And thousands came in to the kingdom of God on day one. And they continued to take that message. We're here as a result of that outpouring on 120 people. What we need in 2023 is that oil to fill the lamp of our hearts and fill the lamp of this church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We need a transferable flame. The fire here is the passion for the presence of God. These bridesmaids knew that when the, when the bridegroom came, they were to light their lamps and bear witness to his return. That's the whole, if you can grab the image, the bridegroom has come. He's finished his preparations. He's made the house ready. He's already paid the price for his bride. And now the trumpet blast, their listening ear has heard it. And they rouse themselves. The wise ones have extra oil. And they light the flame. And they run into the street to bear witness that the bridegroom has come. And they're witnessing to whom? To the waiting world. Has this girl been forgotten? Did this guy stand her up? Did he just pay the dowry and then go off and, and, and forget about her? But no, the trumpet blast sounds. And though she's waited a long time in the midnight hour when the trumpet blast sounded, what, what is the occurrence? The bridesmaids come out with those flaming lamps. And they bear witness and they shine the light and draw attention to the returning bridegroom. There's a fiery passion that needs to burn upon the oil of our hearts. And it's the anticipation of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the flame was likened to, as this type of the presence of God. It's not the presence of God itself. It's a typology. It's, it, it's saying this is, this is representative. The priests had the assignment of keeping that flame burning. These bridesmaids were to be witnesses of the bridegroom's return and the flame of that passion. The flame of that passion. Like in our Christmas Eve service when we have our candles, that flame is so easily transferred. If you're holding a candle and it's got no flame on it, all it takes is one candle in the front row and you dip to the next one and the next one and the next one and everyone starts touching the candles to one another and that flame spreads. That passion is easily spread. But the oil, we have to get on our own. It's good that we're excited and it's good that we want revival and it's good that we want Jesus to come back. But trying to maintain that in our flesh is where the weariness comes from that the Bible tells us about. The people say, oh, we've been hearing about the return of Christ. I can't keep my mood up for that long. I can't stay excited for that long. It's been a long time already. Jesus wants to come back. He, he can come back and I'll be glad about it. But, but whew, that's a lot to put on me. It's not a lot to put on you when your priority is set that my whole life is living in the anticipation of the return of the bridegroom. There's a fire of anticipation. When God's presence comes, it moves the hardened heart to repentance. It moves the bitter 
to forgiveness. It moves the backslider to return. It moves the religious to relationship. The presence of God takes us from form to power. And it's His presence that we need. The fire, the passion for God's presence is meant to burn in this church. Not hype, not pressure. But fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit. The oil of His Spirit made available to hungry hearts. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.